So, today I'm going to ruin a Christmas song for you. Totally ruin it. Forever. Oh, no, is it a good one? It is. I mean, like, I, I think it's alright. There's been, like, some good kind of, like, iterations of it involving Batman and stuff. Okay. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. So, Jingle Bells. <laughs> it was... So, Jingle Bells was written by a guy called James Lord Pierpont. So his dad was like an abolitionist minister in the North. So he lived in the North. He comes from Boston. But during the American Civil War, he decided to go South and support the Confederates. So we're talking like full on John Amory energy. Not only was he just down there, he like he purposefully went down there to support slavery. So he wrote this song and it originally wasn't a Christmas song. Oh no. It was about kind of just like cruising about in a one-horse open sleigh, just, like, hitting on girls and trying to pick up girls. So, I mean, like, it's got a, like, got a bit of, like, Me Too energy in there as well. Just oh, trying God. to, like, hit on girls, like, just a bit of, like, wolf whistling, cackle, and all that sort of stuff. And also, it probably would have originally been performed in blackface. So, racist, racist Christmas song. Don't listen to it. Cancel it. It's over. Done. That is no more crazy. There you go. Well, that's the kind of thing we do here at Happy Ever Heard Of. We ruin Christmas yeah, for you. that's what we're here for. <laughs> happy, <laughs> happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> How are you, Dan? Good, you're not bad. You finished your work for the year, haven't you? I have, so I'm uh, pissing around, really. I, I feel like I haven't really done anything with my time. I didn't really learn a bit of Japanese. I wrote some rubbish on the British Army in World War Two. That was fun. How about you? Cool. I'm okay, apart from the fact that my boyfriend has COVID, so okay. I now had to like turn myself away from him, and so now I'm at my parents, and Christmas has truly begun. <laughs> Yay! So he's got a mild infection though, right? He has, and it his isolation period will finish before Christmas, so hopefully he can get down to his parents and all will be right in the world. Good times. I've noticed like everything's cancelling now. I had like two events uh, that both got cancelled. I was meant to go to a gig last night, got cancelled at the last minute. I'm cancelling everything myself because I just don't want to risk. Don't want to risk it. Me and my cousin are going to go for a very romantic booster shot later this <laughs> evening. So it's depressing though that we're back here again. I mean, like I, I just feel like it's never going to end. The world seems yeah. much smaller. Much just going so round and round in a here. cycle of never-ending booster shots. Yeah. Okay, shall we get this party started? Oh, yes. Okay, so everybody in the entire world has heard of this person. Pretty much everybody. I, I would be hard-pressed to find somebody who hasn't heard of this person. There might be some tribes people in the deepest depths of the Amazon rainforest that haven't. Yes, apart from them, <laughs> pretty much everyone has heard of this person. Potentially the most famous person in the world. Potentially, I would uh, potentially. Yeah, I would say. I would put some good say. money on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe that. Maybe there's a couple of others that are definitely <laughs> also in the running for that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Norris. <laughs> Today, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about him in the context of historical evidence of his existence. So I'm not going to talk about the theology. I'm not going to talk about the history of Christianity, and I'm not going to talk about Christmas. I'm just going to talk about what actual historical evidence we have. The man, not the myth. So basically, I'm going to talk about 
a little bit about the different sources, a little bit about what historians say. There's going to be a lot of boring, this historian says this kind of thing. Uh, but it's very interesting content in terms of like when someone says, yeah, but does Jesus exist? You can say, well, actually, I listened to this podcast and they were saying virtually all scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus exists. There's no like real debate on this. He is a dude that he was, was there on the on the earth someone for example a guy named michael grant says that if conventional standards of historical text criticism apply to the new testament then we can no more reject jesus than the existence of lots of other things for example like loads of pagan personages mm-hmm. who in reality as historical figures have never been questioned so why would we question Jesus if we don't question them? Cool. There's no indication that writers in antiquity who opposed Christianity question the existence of Jesus. And that's another big thing, because if they had opposed Christianity, one of the easiest things to do would be like, yeah, but this guy never existed. And they didn't do that. Yeah, so that's yeah, another yeah. big like positive on the he <laughs> existed camp. <laughs> yeah, they knew they were going to fall down on that if they made that claim. So mentions of Jesus in the texts that aren't the Bible also exist and are supported by the majority of historians. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he, he pops up in Buddhist writing. He pops up in all sorts of writing and yeah. I'm going to go over that. Most his- historians think that there's a difference between Jesus as a prophet like a preacher mm-hmm. and the life of him as a man so new testament scholar jared Thiessen says there is broadly scholarly consensus that we can best find access to the historical jesus through the synoptic tradition so basically that means because something is mentioned more than once in more than one gospel it's likely that it happened okay so for example if i wrote something happened my mum wrote something that happened. My cousin wrote something that happened. It can be verified because there's more than one person yeah, yeah. that said it happened. So he uh-huh. says, well, we've got four Gospels telling us the same thing happened. Mm. Okay, so that's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of people, including uh, Bart D. Ehrman, says to dismiss the Gospels from historical record is neither fair nor scholarly. Um, but like, so were the Gospels written at the same time? No, that's that is a point that we're going to come to. Okay, <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, right. Fair enough. <laughs> and another thing that is interesting is that if Jesus didn't exist, the origin of the faith of early Christians would be a complete mystery. Mm. Like we wouldn't know where that origin came from. So that's another reason to say that he definitely did exist. Okay. So is there anyone who still thinks that Jesus is a myth? You know, I said the most mm-hmm. historians believe he, he existed yes there are some people who still think that jesus is a myth in the 21st century as in the one we're in now um there have been a number of books and documentaries on the subject of jesus as a myth for example l Doherty has written that jesus may have been a real person but the biblical accounts of him are almost entirely fictional and i think this is a perfectly reasonable statement to make yeah because as you say the the biblical accounts were written such a long time after his death and the, those miracles are a bit difficult to pull off even in like a like a darren brown kind of way 
Maybe it was the Darren Brown kind of way. Maybe he just pulled off some pretty sweet Darren Brown tricks. With the well, fish. That's, I'm coming to that. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. The fish and the bread and the walking on the water. Maybe he was just really good at butterfly. I don't know. So there are many proponents who use a three-fold argument, which was developed in the 19th century. One, that the New Testament has no historical value. <laughs> Two, there are no non-Christian references to Jesus from the first century. And three, that Christianity had pagan and or mythical roots. So people that believe in the myth of Jesus use these, this three-pronged argument. Okay. Contemporary scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus existed and biblical scholars and classical historians view the theories of his non-existence as effectively completely refuted. Robert M. Price, who is an atheist who denies the existence of Jesus, agrees that his perspective runs against the views of the majority of scholars. So at least he knows mm. that he's on the other side of the fence. <laughs> Michael Grant states that in recent years, no serious scholar has ventured to postulate the non-historicity of Jesus. So there you go. And Richard A. Burbage says, There are those who argue that Jesus is a figment of the church's imagination, that there was never Jesus at all. I have to say that I do not know any respectable critical scholar who says this anymore. So I think we can kind of agree that there's some historical yeah, evidence yeah. there, if enough people are saying that there is. So let's look at them. Let's look at the sources. I like this plan. So let's talk about the limitations. Limitation number one, there is no physical or archaeological evidence for Jesus. All no. existing sources are documentary. If we had Jesus's bones, that would be pretty good, but we don't. People are see seeking them out though, right? And the shroud and all that shit. Oh, but we don't have a lot of people's bones. Like, yeah. we can't just rule out everybody who we don't have their grave. Because if we yeah, did that, we would have true. to rule out, like, so many people. Yeah, totally. Like, Plato. Yeah. <laughs> For a, just as an example. So that's what number one. Number like, two is... Uh, what's his name? Bending to Arnold. We don't have his bones anymore. They were buried Yeah, there are so many people. Exactly, that we don't know, like... It, mm. We don't have any of their bones. Um, number two, the sources for historical Jesus are mainly Christian writings, such as the Gospels and the purported letters of the Apostles, aforementioned. Mm -hmm. And number three, all extant sources that mention Jesus are written after his death, which you mentioned already. Mm -hmm. So those are the three limitations to the sources of the existence of Jesus, which are some of which are pretty big deals. The New Testament represents sources that have been become canonical for christianity and there are other apocryphal texts that are examples of a wide variety of writings in the first centuries ad that are related to jesus the authenticity and reliability of these sources have been questioned by many scholars and a few events mentioned in the gospels are universally accepted so let's start with those biblical sources and then we'll move on to non-biblical so, as mentioned before, we've got the Synoptic Gospels, which are the primary sources of historical information. These are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they recount the life, ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, a Jew named Jesus who spoke Aramaic. <laughs> so, Jesus. Um, but then we also have uh, the fourth Gospel, John, and this differs greatly from the Synoptic Gospels. It's less historical, doesn't follow his life in the same way that the other three do. 
So there are different hypotheses regarding the origin of the text of the Gospels. They were written actually in Greek for Greek-speaking communities and were later translated into Latin and other languages. So they were actually originally written in Greek, so it's kind of... Where's the origin there? I guess Greece. (laughs) Or someone that at least speaks Greek. (laughs) By the same token... People usually agree that John is not without historical value, saying that John looks like it's probably older than the other ones because of the topography of Jerusalem, for example, like the geography of what he's talking about. He also says that Jesus was executed before rather than on Passover, which might be more accurate as the presentation of Jesus in the garden and the prior meeting held by the Jewish authorities are more historically plausible than the parallels in the other three. So people say that John's, even though it doesn't follow the same vein as the other three, it might actually be more accurate. Historians often study the historical reliability of the book of Acts of the apostles when studying the reliability of the gospels. The book of Acts was seemingly written by the same author as the gospel of Luke. So if you're written by the same author, then you can kind of compare the two. Then we have the last biblical source is the Pauline epistles. So the Pauline Pauline as in Paul, not a woman called Pauline. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> Pauline's pistols. Are all dated between 50 and 60 AD, which is approximately 20 to 30 years after the generally accepted period of the death of Jesus, and are the earliest surviving Christian texts that include information about Jesus. And to me, I thought it was way later than that. So 50 and 60 AD is actually earlier than I thought it was, that we had, like, any writing about him. Um, Although Paul the Apostle provides relatively little biographical information about Jesus, and he states he never knew him personally, he does make it clear that he considers Jesus to have been a real person and a Jew, and that he met with his brother, whose name was James. Just James. Jesus and James. Really, just James? The J brothers, they called them. Fair enough. They didn't call them that. Uh, inform my brother that he has the same name as Jesus's brother. Oh my god! Me you Jesus. do have long hair. <laughs> I do have long hair. I am looking the quite Asian Jesus today. I'm lacking, lacking Can't a, beard, grow a beard. Can you? <laughs> okay, so the non-biblical sources. So, in addition to the biblical sources, there are a number of non-biblical. Let's talk about Thallus. So, biblical scholar Frederick V. Bruce says that the earliest mention of Jesus, 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 outside of the Jesus. New Testament occurs around 55 CE from a historian named Thallus. Thallus's history, like the vast majority of ancient literature, has been lost, but not before it was quoted by Sextus oh, Julius boy. Africanus, who was around 160 CE. Uh, who was a Christian writer in his History of the World, published around 220 CE. This book was also lost, but not before one of its citations oh of Thallus was taken up by a Byzantian historian, George Senclus, in his Chronicle, which was in 800 CE. 
So we've got two lost historical okay. texts that this is based on, mm. but it does happen. You can't say it doesn't happen. So there's no means by certainty that we can establish other lost references, partial references. There's questionable references as well, but there's something there. There's something there. Okay, so let's talk about Josephus and Tactius. Oh my god, so many Roman names. So there are two <laughs> passages and writings of the Jewish historian Josephus and one of the Roman historians Tacticus, and they're generally considered to be good evidence. Josephus Antiquities of the Jews was written about 93 AD and includes two references to the biblical Jesus in books 18 and 20. The general scholarly view is that while the longer passage, known as the Testimonium Falviadnum, is most likely not authentic <laughs> in its entirety, but it is broadly agreed upon that it it originally consisted of authentic nucleus and was then subject to a Christian interpretation. All right. Someone took a fictional red pen i think the it. red pen wasn't fictional <laughs> Not the, the, pen, the red pen wasn't fictional <laughs> the other mention of the other mention in josephus josephus scholar lewis h feldman stated that we he has few have doubted the genuineness of joseph's reference to jesus in antiquities 20 which says the brother of jesus who was called christ whose name was james so we have two different people who says that he was called Christ and his brother was called James. Paul referenced meeting meeting and interacting with James, as I said before, Jesus' brother, and has since agreed between the different sources that supports Jesus' statement. The statement is only disputed by a small number of scholars. Wouldn't it be funny if everyone liked James? Yeah, he's actually a much more fun guy. Jesus got some like some pretty smart stuff to say, but yeah, James got the... is just fun, isn't he? It? <laughs> it's just a fun. It's a fun guy. Like, have you it's heard of Jesus? Guy. You mean fun James' guy. brother? <laughs> 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 okay, Roman historian Tacticus re- refers to Christus in his and his execution by Pontius Pilate in the Annals, written in um, 116. Robert E. Van Vost, great name states that the very negative tone of Tactus's comments on Christians makes the passage extremely unlikely to have been forged by a Christian scribe, and the Tacticus reference is now widely accepted as an independent confirmation of Jesus' crucifixion. So I think that's quite yeah. good. So is he a bit, is he a bit like... Uh, well, as, I haven't read Tacticus myself, um, but... That's what I yeah, hear. Be a tough read. Uh, then we have the Talmud. <laughs> so other considerations outside of Christendom include the possible mentions of Jesus in the Talmud. The Talmud speaks in some detail of the conduct of criminal cases of Israel, whose texts were gathered between 200 and 500 CE. Johann Meyer and Bart D. Ehrman argue that this material was too late to be of much use, which is fair. That's hundreds of years after the fact. Ehrman explains that Jesus yes. never mentioned in the oldest part of the Talmud and only appears in later commentaries. Jesus is not mentioned by name, but there is a subtle attack on the virgin birth that refers to the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier. And there is a reference to Jesus' miracles as quote-unquote black magic. Yeah. So this there is one that a lot of people don't really consider to be historical because it's, it's too late. 
There is only one classical writer who refers positively to Jesus, and that is Mara Bar Serapian, <laughs> a Syriac Stoic, who wrote a letter to his son, who is also named Serapian, <laughs> from a Roman prison. So he speaks of the execution <laughs> of, quote, the wise king of the Jews, and compares his death to that of Socrates at the hands of the of the the greeks he links the death of the wise king to the jews being driven from their kingdom and he also states that the wise king lives on because of the new laws he laid down the dating of the letter is disputed but probably soon after 73 a.d Scholars such as Van Vorst see a little doubt that this reference to the execution of the king of the jews is about the death of jesus Others, such as Craig A. Evans, see less value in the letter given its uncertain date and the ambiguity of the reference. Ambiguous reference, but the King of the Jews, I mean, who, like, if there was someone else they could have been talking about, that would be known. So. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, popular alias. Yes. The dude. Um, so we were talking about the Gospels earlier. Let's have a little chat about the re- historical reliability of them. So obviously the historical reliability has been talked about over and over again. <laughs> little in the four canonical Gospels is considered to be historically reliable. Historians sub- subject the Gospels to critical analysis by differing authentic reliable information and possible inventions, exaggerations, and alterations. Since there are more contextual variants of the New Testament than it has letters, scholars use textual criticism to determine which gospel variants should theoretically be taken as original. So just to put numbers on that, there are about 200 to 400,000 variations of the New Testament. So there are more versions of the New Testament wow, that, that has cool. actual letters in it. <laughs> oh, okay. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So to answer this question, scholars have to ask who wrote the Gospels, when they were written, what was their objective, what sources they used, how reliable these sources were, and how far from the time the sources were from the stories they narrate, or if they were altered later which is what we do with a lot of historical evidence. Scholars also look into the internal evidence of the documents to see if, for example, a document has misquoted texts from Hebrew, has made incorrect claims about geography, if the author appears to have hidden information, or if the author has fabricated a prophecy. Finally, scholars turn to external sources, including the testimony of early church leaders, to writers outside of the church, primarily Jewish and Greco-Roman historians, who would have been more likely to have criticised the church and also archaeological evidence. Okay, so this is this is this is fun. So we have something called the Quest for Historical Jesus, which to me sounds like a Tom Cruise film. So there's three <laughs> stages of the quests since the 18th century for historical Jesus. These quests have distinguished from pre-enlightenment approaches because they rely on historical critical method to sub- su- study biblical narratives. So we've got the first quest. <laughs> so the scholarly effort to reconstruct an authentic 
historical picture of Jesus was a product of Enlightenment scepticism of the late 18th century. Biblical scholar Gerd Thiessen explains it was concerned with presenting a historical, historically true life of Jesus. The first scholar to separate historical Jesus from theological Jesus in this way was a man named Herman Samuel Rimarus, which was around 1700. Copies of Romanus's writings were discovered by G. Lessing in a library at Wolfenbüttel, where Lessing was the librarian. Because librarians are awesome. Okay. Uh, Romanus <laughs> had left permission for his work to be published after his death, death, and Lessing did this in 1774 and 1778, publishing it as The Fragments of an Unknown Author. That's the English title. Over time, they became known as the Wolfenbüttel Fragments after the library where Lessing had worked. Rimaris distinguished between what Jesus had taught and what he portrayed in the New Testament. According to Romanus, Jesus was a political messiah who failed at creating a political change and was executed. His disciples then stole the body and invented the story for the, of the resurrection for personal gain, he says. So Romanus's controversial work prompted a response from, quote, the father of historical critical research, Johann Selmer, in 1779, and he wrote the text answering the fragments of an unknown. <laughs> so it's like an answer to the, the work. Selmer refuted Romanus's arguments, but it was of little consequence. Romanus's writings already made lasting changes, making it clear criticism would exist independently of theology, theolo- theology and faith, and founding historical Jesus studies within that non-sectarian view, like we're trying to do here. So according to Homer W. Smith, the work of Lessing and others accumulated in the Protestant theologian David Strauss' The Life of Jesus in 1835, in which Strauss expresses his conclusion that Jesus existed, but that his godship is the result of a, quote, historic nucleus being worked over and reshaped into an ideal form by the first Christians under the influence of Old Testament models and the idea of the Messiah found in Daniel. So, essentially what Romarus said as well. Mm-hmm. The enthusiasm shown during the first quest diminished after Albert Schweizer's critique of 1906, in which he pointed out various shortcomings in the approaches used at that time. After Schweizer's book, The Quest for Historical Jesus, in 1910 was published, this is what the field of study was labelled for the next 80 years. So that's why it's called The Quest, because of this guy. Second Quest began in... 1953 but faded away around the 1970s so then we have the third quest so in the 1980s a number of scholars gradually began to introduce new research ideas initiating a third quest for jesus (laughs) historical jesus one of the modern aspects of the third quest is the role of archaeology james charlesworth states that the modern scholars now want to use archaeological discoveries that clarify the nature of the life in galilee and judea during the time of jesus a further characteristic of the third quest has been interdisciplinary and global nature of scholarship so basically like everyone from around the world is getting involved and it's not just singularly based on you know what we would have called 
Christendom <laughs> back in the day. Okay. Most recently, historicists have found their attention on the historical writings associated with the era in which Jesus lived or on the evidence concerning his family. By the end of the 20th century, scholar Tom Holman writes that Enlightenment skepticism has given way to a more, quote, trustful attitude towards the historical reliability of the sources. Currently, conviction of Sanders, we, we know quite a lot about Jesus, characterizes the majority of contemporary sources. Reflecting this shift, the phase quest for historical Jesus has largely been replaced by the life of Jesus research. Yeah, I was about to say that's a, that's a very low key. In the <laughs> yeah, slightly. <laughs> also, now I'm just imagining them stealing his body and just kind of like, van- like using it like a ventriloquist doll to pretend that it's been resurrected. Hey, look, Jesus is back up. How do you feel, Jesus? <laughs> I feel really good. He's feeling really good, people. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> um, okay, so consensual knowledge about jesus so there was widespread disagreement a lot among scholars of the details of the life of jesus mentioned in the gospel narratives and the meaning of his teachings scholars differ on the historicity of specific episodes described in biblical accounts of jesus but almost all modern scholars consider his baptism and his crucifixion to be historical facts so if we're talking about facts it's baptism and crucifixion i mean like so let's talk about baptism yeah, quickly. So the existence of John the Baptist within the same time as Jesus and his eventual execution by Herod is attested to by first century historian Josephus and the overwhelming majority of modern scholars view Josephus' account of the activities of John the Baptist as authentic. One of the arguments in favour of the historicity of the baptism of Jesus by John is the criterion of embarrassment, i.e., that it is a story in which the early Christian church would have not wanted to invent. Well, did John the Baptist get his name before he baptised Jesus, or did he get it because he baptised Jesus? Was he just really good at baptising people? He was, he was like the best. Number one. So we'll get John in at, here. Ba- baptising. Get John in here. We need the best We need the best in the biz. Get John in here. I don't actually know the answer <laughs> to that. I don't know whether... Um, okay. I think, I think it was after... My best guess would be, but I, I don't know. Okay, then. So, you know, he's just kind of living off the, uh, the baptizing of Jesus. He's just dining out and that for the rest of his life. Fair enough. I mean, like, if you can do it, you can... <laughs> Another argument in favour of the historicity of the baptism is that multiple accounts refer to it, usually called the criterion of multiple attestation. So, basically, multiple attestation means that Multiple people have said it happened. I mentioned that already. Okay. Um, it doesn't guarantee authenticity, but then again, what does really? However, for most scholars, together with the criterion of embarrassment, it tends towards credibility. So that's the baptism. Then we have the crucifixion, and as you said, Dan, crucifixions happened. So that's that's one mark in its favour. The Romans fucking loved crucifying. Would you have gotten loved to see a crucifixion? I mean, like I probably would have gone to see all the executions. I mean, at that, that time, it was entertainment, wasn't it? I like horror films. I mean, I'm definitely yeah, going to go see same. the executions. Aren't I? <laughs> that wouldn't have been allowed. They are like the horror films of the time. 
like in um, Life of Brown, they're like, are there any women yeah. here? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so crucifixion. John P. Mayer views the crucifixion of Jesus as historical fact and states that based on the criterion of embarrassment, again, the Christians would not have invented a painful death for their leader. Mayer states that a number of other criteria, so the criteria of multiple attestation, the criterion of coherence, like you said, it fixed with historical evidence, and the criterion of rejection, mm. e.g. that is not disputed by other sources, help establish the crucifixion of Jesus as a historical event. Um, E.D. and Boyd state that it is now firmly established that there is non-Christian confirmation of the crucifixion of Jesus, referred to by Josephus and Tacticus, who I mentioned earlier. Most scholars in the third quest for the historical Jesus consider the crucifixion as indisputable, as do a lot of other historians. Although scholars agree on the historicity of the crucifixion, they differ on reason and context. Oh boy. So, why he was crucified? And how such when. Geza Vermes also views the crucifixion as a historical event, but believes this was due to Jesus's challenging Roman authority. On the other hand, Maurice Casey and John P. Mayer state that Jesus did predict his death and actually strengthened his followers' belief in resurrection. Differing beliefs there. The old fan. There are also some other possibly historical elements which I'm going to whiz through. So, in addition to the baptism and the crucifixion, they also believe in some of these items. Jesus was a Galilean Jew, born between 7 and 2 BC and died between 30 and 36 AD. Jesus believed only... Sorry. Jesus lived in only Galilee and Judea. Most scholars reject that there was evidence that Jesus travelled outside of Galilee and Judea. Jesus spoke Aramaic and that he may have also spoken Hebrew and Greek. The languages spoken in Galilee and Judea in the first century include the Aramaic, Hebrew languages, as well as Greek. So that makes sense. Jesus called disciples. John P. Mayer sees the calling of disciples as a natural consequence of the information about Jesus. Jesus caused controversy in a temple, so the story of him, like, flipping the tables and everything. Some people believe that's, that's real. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can, I can get behind that. That's quite a normal thing. It was pissed. You, you know, it's not supernatural, is it? You can, <laughs> you can flip a table. I, I don't <laughs> doubt he can flip a table, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and also, uh, after his death, his disciples continued, and some of his disciples were persecuted. So that's the things that most people agree on. There's a lot more I could say about this. For example, mainstream uh, v. not mainstream views, but we don't have time to go over every single part of this. However, I found a link mm-hmm. to the top 10 books about historical Jesus. So if you ty- if you Google um, History Matters, um, top 10 books about historical Jesus, you'll find a link um, to the History Matters website and a list of books, some of which are old, like the ones I've mentioned, some of which are as new as a couple of years ago. So if you want to read more about this, please check out that link. Ta-da. So that was I mean, it wasn't cool, exactly cool. like a festive, but <laughs> it was about Christmas. No, it was uh about Christmas exactly. Festive. Christmas is meant to be Jesus' so, birthday and yeah. that, so there you go. But I mean like I don't know. They could have. Uh, they might have like 
push the um the crucifixion thing. Like I don't necessarily think that kind of uh I don't know. Like denigrates thy hit by him in any way. Like I mean like it kinda of marts him. Like a painful death, that's a good I way agree. of like pushing that. Yeah. I agree kind of. So I don't know what I think. I do believe and I have always believed that um Jesus was a real person. I just don't know anything beyond that really. But I'm okay with that. I yeah. don't need to know about everything. And all the like <laughs> the creating food out of um thin air. I mean like the turning water into wine, that's possible. Fermentation that's process. Like a, that's right? a party trick, right? <laughs> I mean well I think today it's like, you know, there are lots of like um magicians that pull that shit off, don't they? In Love Magic like, during a magic show. Do you remember the show um, The Masked Magician? It's great fun. <gasps> I loved that show. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I'm going to look that up on YouTube. Good times. Like, when he art, he was so good. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Masked Magician. Check it out if you haven't seen it. So we're going to be <laughs> off for a couple of weeks celebrating the holidays with family and friends and, well, <laughs> trying to celebrate <laughs> our holidays. And we'll be back in <laughs> second week of January with something for you guys yep. <laughs> while we're away you can go back and listen to some of the back catalogue and you can do that right here wherever you're listening to this subscribe and if you have the time please leave us a review and a little five stars it really helps with the algorithm that's a really good thing to do while uh, drunk on wine giving us reviews <laughs> and uh, you can follow us on social media live. and we'll see you in the new year Bye! Bye. <laughs>